This week on episode 478 of Priority One, we trek out why Don Lewis thinks Mariner is like a preacher's daughter, CBS All Access's new name, Star Trek's TCA Heritage Award, and a trip to Bel Air. In Star Trek Gaming, Timeline celebrates its newest event, and Crypto Space Command goes to Black Alert. Then, Dr. Robert Hurt joins us for this week's Astrometrics Report. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 478 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, September 15th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, September 18th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And filling in for Skiffy this week is our producer extraordinaire, Jake. Hey, everybody. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or email us. You can reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, there was a time when... I thought to myself, gee, I think I want to do my own community theater group. But you know what? After thinking about it long and hard, I realized that this podcast is, in fact, my community theater. And for those of you that may not be aware of how community theater works, it's generally a group of talented volunteers that get together because they are passionate about the performing arts. Here at Priority One, we're passionate about Star Trek, and each of us volunteers donate our time and our talents to produce the quality content you've come to expect. Unfortunately, it's not free, and just as community theater charges tickets to a show to help recover those costs, we have Patreon. Patreon allows listeners like you to support the production of this show in areas like technical support in case we need new equipment or upgrades to our hosting providers to tools that help us organize the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. So if you're interested in becoming a patron and supporting this show, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. There you'll find several tiers with benefits that we try to use to incentivize you to become a subscriber. For instance, at just $10 a month, you get access to things like our VIP Discord channel and an entirely separate podcast that we record lovingly titled After Hours. So be sure to trek us out over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. But if financial support isn't in the cards, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts, or perhaps you'd like to join the team. We're looking for new volunteers to join the production. Specifically, we're looking for audio and video editors. For more information, visit priorityonepodcast.com or email us. That address is incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
Kelvin's Christopher Pike had punch it. Prime Pike had hit it. Lorca, go! Picard posthumously procured Prime Pike's engage from the cage. So who could blame the Cerritos' Captain Carol Freeman for wanting to follow Starfleet trailblazers by conjuring up her own catchphrase. Though, it's warp time. Yeah, that that's gonna need a little work. This week, Don Lewis, the voice of the aforementioned Captain Freeman, talked with TV Guide about her love of Star Trek, the captain's relationship with her daughter, and what she wants to do next. Lewis told TV Guide about her history with Star Trek, saying, quote, I used to risk getting into trouble in order to watch Star Trek because it would come on when my brothers and I were supposed to be asleep. We would get in front of our little, small black and white TV with blankets and sheets covering us to make a tent to muffle the sound so we could watch the adventures of Captain Kirk, Lieutenant Uhura, and Mr. Spock traipsing through the galaxy." End quote. In regards to Captain Freeman's relationship with her estranged daughter, Ensign Beckett Mariner, Lewis said, quote, "...their relationship reminds me of growing up a preacher's kid. You often find that the preacher's kids are probably the baddest kids in the church. They are trying to break every rule, trying to be everything except what their parents have been trying to encourage everybody else to be. So even if you're one of the best parents, sometimes your kids can still make choices that you really wish they would not make." End quote. Don Lewis, who is currently working with Lower Decks co-star Jack Quaid on Amazon's The Boys, talked about what she wants to do next, telling reporter Keisha Hackett, quote, "'Please make me an alien in Discovery. Picard, somewhere. Please make me an alien. I want to do it!' End quote. Of course, check out our show notes for a link to the article. Have you been waiting with bated breath for the announcement of CBS All Access' new name? Have you spent the time anxiously awaiting the rebrand of the on-demand streaming service? Have you forgone relationships, job opportunities, and basic hygiene for fear of missing the news when it finally drops? Well, friends, the wait is over, so call your family, get your resume up to date, bathe yourself, and get ready for the big reveal. Seriously, you should definitely bathe yourself. On Tuesday, September 15th, Viacom CBS dropped the news that starting in early 2021, the service formerly known as CBS All Access would soon and henceforth be called Paramount Plus. CEO Bob Backish said in a press release, quote, Paramount is an iconic and storied brand beloved by consumers all over the world, and it is synonymous with quality, integrity, and world-class storytelling. With Paramount Plus, we're excited to establish one global streaming brand in the broad pay segment that will draw on the sheer breadth and depth of the Viacom CBS portfolio to offer an extraordinary collection of content for everyone to enjoy, end quote. Deadline reports that Viacom CBS' other streaming service, Showtime, will continue to operate independently from the newly named Paramount Plus, but the Australian 10 All Access will fall in line with its U.S. counterpart. No definitive announcements were made about price, tiering, or availability outside the U.S. and Australia, which are undoubtedly big questions that need answering. Keep listening, and we'll let you know more when we find out. I like in that press release that they were like, oh, the territories that it'll start is Australia, the Nordic region, and... Pretty much nothing else internationally. <laughs> I smell negotiating tactic. I know. I'm like, I bet they've only had deals with those places, yeah, obviously. Like and I can't say I'm surprised that they didn't want to brand a CBS slash Viacom. I feel like maybe in the public eye that's got a bad taste in its mouth. I don't know. But Paramount Plus, come on. You're just stealing from Disney. Boo. 
Paramount might be more recognized internationally, you know, because Paramount Pictures every that that splashed up in front of every you know a lot of movies from the '40s forward, right? So people probably get that. CBS is like, oh, that must that's that's from Canada, right? That's the Canadian Broadcasting Company, or you know, that NCIS channel. Yeah, it's the NCIS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's a ripoff of Disney. Yeah, it's just a. Well, what did Disney do? Do that. Do what they did. So the other thing too is that they are in fact now adding more content, new specific content only available on Paramount Plus. Right, Jake? Is that what I'm understanding here? Well, it's going to be on top of what they already have. So anything that's exclusive to CBS All Access will remain exclusive to Paramount Plus. And five new listings are also on the way for the release. Right, and that includes The Offer, Lioness, another one, a spy drama, uh, a reboot of the classic VH1 documentary series uh, Behind the Music. The Real Criminal Minds, which I I used to, I watch. I watch Criminal Minds. I'm kind of excited for The Real Criminal Minds. Speaking of NCIS. And uh, a revival of uh, the BET drama The Game. So, so what I'm seeing, though, here is uh, so that li- the list that, uh, that that we got put together here. So it's a it's a documentary about a 40- or 50-year-old movie. It's a spy drama, which, you know, okay, that's, that's new, I guess. And a reboot of something on VH1, the, the, something, the, something that'll go into MTV videos, MTV classic videos, uh, another uh, spinoff of a spinoff show that they've already got, and uh, another reboot. Yeah, I mean, it's the same stuff they had. BET, MTV, Comedy Central, all those things. It's still the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> Plus these five things. Right. Woo! <laughs> yeah, we talked before about how they're, they're leveraging their library, right? They're going into the back catalog, and so what they're doing, they're updating the back catalog a little bit. Like, they're sprucing it up. This is so not going to go. They're just going to, everybody's eventually just going to be on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. This is not feasible in the long run. If they can't do better with their exclusive offerings on this Paramount Plus platform, I mean, what would the point be, right? Other than the back catalog on a platform that needs a lot of work. So hopefully in this Paramount Plus rebranding, they're also going to look at the technology behind live streaming these things, right? Because compared to Hulu, compared to Amazon Prime, Amazon Video, compared to Netflix, CBS All Access is way behind in terms of its features and its usability. So not only do they need to really ramp up production of award-winning shows, but they also need to improve their technology. So we'll see. You know, time will tell. I wouldn't hold my breath, though, because during that May 16th relaunch, when they hinted at the name change, they did redesign that platform a little bit. So I wouldn't expect anything huge, any huge changes to come. They got, they got it. I hope so, but... They've got a fix. They could at least put, like, a, hey, do you want to keep watching the last thing you were watching? Because that's usually <laughs> what I want to... That's usually what I want to do, and that's just not even available. Do, do you know what you, the, the, the solution for that is? Watch it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, I would, except they want me to pay for it, so I don't want to do that. But, you know, it's usually Star Trek. Yeah, I'm like, it's, can I just click the last episode I was watching? Come on. Yeah, I hated All Access so much, I bought it through Amazon Prime. That's how much I hated it. Well, I tried that, but it didn't work on my, my TV through Amazon Prime. On my oh, Samsung. Really? Yeah, um, it has issues with Samsung, apparently, that you can't do it that way. And so, yeah, I had to get CBS All Access directly because it won't play through Amazon Prime on my Samsung. S- they really are hosed. I mean, the whole thing... It's just awful. Those are technology things that they really need to just start ironing out. I mean, there are accessibility issues with respect to its closed captioning. You've got issues with the UI just kind of getting around. You've got issues with 
uh, streaming, right? It's not a pleasant experience. And then, you know, on top of that, you've got the library, which isn't necessarily attractive when compared to Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon. And then on top of that, you've got the global market, right? Where there are people overseas who still haven't even seen some of the short treks or even Lower Decks. I think I maybe know what's going on here. They're trying to package it to sell. I didn't really understand why they kept Showtime separate. Now I think I do. Because what they're going to do is they're going to get those all sorted out, put everything in there in the Paramount Plus library. Then they'll shop it and they'll take the original content that they're making still. They're, you know, like the, whatever series they have in production, whichever ones they, they like and is, are generating money. They'll move them over to Showtime and then sell the Paramount Plus catalog to whoever wants to, oh, to host it. Oh, yeah, as a channel. Yeah, yeah, they'll just sell the channel. And, you know, so, you know, Netflix, you want to run the channel. Amazon Prime, you want to run the channel. Do you want Hulu? Do you want I mean, the they should do that, but uh, yeah, that, that way they don't have to invest in the technology. They'll probably do first-run movies through Showtime too, because the theater business is falling to the yeah, wayside. That, that I think that's why they kept Showtime as a separate label, because they'll have a home if they ever want to sell it. They can they can put they can put the first-run stuff. There. That's smart. Yep, we you heard it here first. <laughs> if I was gonna lawyer that deal. Hey, I'm, I'm available for reasonable rates. My experience is in the oil and gas industry, but I can I can make you a deal. You want to make a deal? I'll make you a deal. <laughs> Finally this week, we'd like to congratulate Star Trek on its Television Critics Association Heritage Award. From StarTrek.com, quote, The Television Critics Association was proud to bestow the Heritage Award upon Gene Roddenberry's landmark 1966 sci-fi epic Star Trek in recognition of the groundbreaking series which brought the future to life, illustrating a unique vision that is equal parts hopeful and cautious as it explored issues such as bigotry, religion, politics, sexism, and human rights through timeless stories of love, war, intrigue, and adventure in outer space. With the help of a strong cast that was among the first to feature an African-American actress in a significant leading role, end quote. The son of Star Trek creator, head of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, and our friend Rod Roddenberry, accepted the award. I want to thank the Television Critics Association for honoring Star Trek with the esteemed Heritage Award. My father, Gene Roddenberry, started the franchise over 50 years ago. He did it with a vision of hope and optimistic view of what humanity could become told through the lens of science fiction. It's an honor to be a part of this lasting legacy that has become a worldwide cultural phenomenon addressing many of the social and political issues which impact our society today. I thank you and live long and prosper. Once again, we'd like to congratulate Star Trek on this well-earned award. All right, Captains. Now this is a story all about how our show got flipped, turned upside down. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there and tell you how we covered rumors about Star Trek right here. The acclaimed clickbaity website, WeGotThisCovered.com, posted a fun bit of rumor this week, saying that Viacom CBS was looking to add one of Hollywood's biggest stars to its Star Trek lineup. Will Smith. No, we're not talking about the background actor that appeared as a Ventu in Voyager's seventh season episode Natural Law, though we aren't taking anything away from that Will Smith's performance or career either. Who we're talking about is the fresh Prince of Bel-Air himself, one of the bad boys, Hancock, that Will Smith. From We Got This Covered, quote, according to our intel, which comes from the same sources that told us Captain Pike would be getting his own spin-off long before Star Trek Strange New Worlds was announced, the studio are keen to recruit Will Smith to play a Starfleet captain. Although at this time, it isn't clear exactly what movie they're eyeing him for. 
end quote. Scott Campbell, the writer of this particular story, goes on to say that the studio is also looking to add Robert Downey Jr. and Brie Larson to the franchise, and that, quote, it would certainly appear that the studio is actively seeking an injection of star power to ensure that the next installment in the franchise can make it into production sooner rather than later, end quote. Yes. Let's all just start throwing out names from some of the biggest blockbuster jams of all time. Why not throw in another Chris? Chris Evans. Let's just throw in another Chris in Star Trek, for that matter. You could always use another Chris. Captains, you heard it here first. Our very loose sources have heard that Chris Evans is also being looked at to play a role in Star Trek. Be sure to share it. <laughs> Tell your friends all about it. Start talking about it. Chris Evans, you heard it here first. They've reanimated Laurence Olivier. <laughs> they could certainly do that through the magic of computer-generated imaging. The reason that these rumor sites, I mean, are are get any clicks is because it would, you know, it fires the imagination, right? We cover them. Well, because we decided this week that we were low on because it was a really slow news week, and this is about all we got. Because it was a slow news week, and we had nothing else to talk about. Yeah, that's why. Right, 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 right. So, but what, but I, what I mean is why these things get traction is because it does fire the imagination a little bit, right? It's a fun what if. And if nothing else, if this gets back to the star or whatever, and, and it's not true, maybe the star thinks, I could do a Star Trek. Why, why, why wouldn't I do a Star Trek? And then they call their agent and say, hey, call those CBS guys and Paramount guys and tell them that, yeah, we'll have a meeting. So, I mean, it's, it, if nothing else, it, it's, you know, it, it's just it's just fluff. But it's fun to imagine. Uh, although I, I worry that the Will Smith will be the uh, the Idris Elba uh, in, a, in a Beyond remake. Uh, that's that's what my, that's what my worry is. No, that would be terrible. Yeah, so. Uh, and, and they really ruined their chance there. They had Idris Elba and had to do that. He was, I think, criminally underused. I know. All right, so here's where I really kind of want to guide this conversation, right? Because this is definitely clickbaity and, oh, uh, Will Smith, woo. I think the real question should be, will we see another Star Trek film with so much happening on streaming? And I'm asking that in terms of, number one, reach. Number two, the direction that entertainment is moving, right? Number one, we're in the middle, of, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, right? And theaters still think that they're going to be able to open up to play films as though nothing was wrong. The film Tenet argues otherwise. Right. So now we have television, right? Now television has arguably been the new theatrical experience over the last uh, at least eight years. So what would it take to get a Star Trek film, number one? And number two is... Do we want a Star Trek film? Or would we rather those production dollars be applied to amazing television? I mean, I prefer the television because there's more to it, you know, but I do like some of the movies. Maybe a miniseries. We could compromise. I mean, the miniseries, the home, though, would be on a TV. That, I mean, that's where it would wind up being. Yeah, but I mean, that's where we're headed. I mean, I I just got Bill and Ted because I wanted to watch it, but I'm not going to the theater to watch it. But it's brand new, and I want to see it. You know, I think there's a market for that. Well, and you know, Disney did Mulan a little while ago. So, I mean, I think people are looking at sending stuff straight to people's houses for this now. I think calling movie, the movie theaters dead is it's a little premature, but I also think that the pace of releases is going to slow even farther than it has. So it's going to be a Star Trek movie if they want to get it off the ground. I think, you know, it's at least two or three years out, obviously. Uh, and I also think that it's there's going to be less competition, right? Fewer movies being made, 
but also less investment. Less money is going to be available to make the, the, those things. So, yeah, chuck out the names that you want to get on there, people you want to attach to rise to the top of the pile as far as, you know, comp- competing for the investment dollars and also trying to make your case for audience draw. But I don't think that they're going to have as easy of a time walking in with a franchise name and attracting investment. I don't think that's going to do it anymore. They're going to be like, you've got that. You've got, the, you've got an audience for that on TV already. Let's try something else. Let's, let's take a gamble on something for less money with, with an original storyline. But playing devil's advocate, the movies have produced for Paramount, even if it wasn't in the box office, because it brought people to the franchise. And because they came to the franchise, it's supporting CBS All Access. So there is something to be said for movies because you can promote them better, they, which they did a terrible job with Beyond, and it showed. But you can promote a movie better, you can build more hype for a movie, you can get big-name stars for a movie. So there is a benefit to making a Star Trek movie. And, and personally, I, I think Star Trek works better on television, but I enjoy the movies. There's something about that big theatrical contained story, which I really enjoy. Oh, oh, oh Jake, now we have to ask, is, do we have to do the, is it Star Trek question? We have to ask, we have, no, we just have to do that now. It's hard to do Star Trek in a two-hour bit where you're also trying to be the popcorn summertime blockbuster. But it's possible. You can do it. It has been done. I didn't think that's what the purpose of those movies was. At the time, it was because the show wasn't on anymore and they had no other avenue but to do. So we had to settle? Yeah, we had to settle for a movie. Only two hours. I, You know, I, I would argue that Star Trek films are better as supplemental excursions yeah right you talk tony you mentioned uh the you know the whole popcorn thing right and i think that perhaps the direction should not be to tell a story about a crew that we've already seen on television right we got the jj reboot for instance but perhaps a different story perhaps something else that has loose ties into the star trek television cinematic universe but isn't dependent upon upon the main cast of characters. But also, I don't know, theater, movie theaters are not dead, but I think that we need to start to think of ways of monetizing films so that there's a choice. A person can download it and pay the money to download a film or go and experience it in the theater. Because let's be real, as Star Trek fans, we're probably gonna end up doing both if given the opportunity, is one, buy it so we can watch it immediately in the comfort of our living rooms and also get the incredible cinematic experience of being in Dolby Digital Surround Sound and all that jazz. But that does lead us to our first community question. Does Star Trek need star power to entice new fans to a new film? Do you think the addition of an actor like Will Smith or Brie Larson or Robert Downey Jr. would help or hurt Star Trek? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations, high score. And in gaming news this week... A Connaught 2, a smuggler, and an unscrupulous toy collector walk into a bar, where they're featured crew for the latest Star Trek Timeline skirmish event. 
Nona Kivas Faggio and smuggler Cassidy Yates, as mentioned, are featured crew members. All crew with the Borg trade are also getting event bonuses, and joining them all for the new event, a new ship transwarps into timelines, the Borg Queen's Vessel. We have in our production notes here that they're really stretching it now with the featured crew members, and I have to agree, because this is the first time I've ever, even even as... Is, is obscure. Some of these references have been I had to go straight to Memory Alpha to figure out what a Con Ut 2 was. Yeah, Kivas Fajo, that's like one episode, the one guy that kidnaps Data. Yeah, but he's he's good. He's he's golden. Oh, so good, so good. But... Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's memorable, right? He's, I mean, he's you know, it's like he sticks in your brain. Yeah, but I didn't remember what a Con Ut 2 is either. Yeah. But you remember Cassidy 8, though? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she's pivotal. Yeah. Plus, she's in the Orville now, so, I mean, you know, she's, she's, she's right in the front of your brain. Ethereum blockchain-based MMO Crypto Space Command, or CSC, is colliding once again with the Star Trek universe. Just like last year, mysterious rifts are popping up in CSC and Star Trek's universe is crossing over. This time, the event sees Star Trek Discovery making its way into CSC. Five unique one-of-one ships are being Dutch auctioned for the event, starting at an eye-watering $100,000? Is this actual dollars? Yeah, that's right. Oh my lord. Yep. Wow. The Disco USS Enterprise NCC-1701 has already sold fetching $873.50. Up for auction at the time of recording is the USS Shenzhou, currently priced at around $50,000 and ticking down. And coming up after the Shenzhou are the Klingon sarcophagus ship, the USS Jaeger, and finally the USS Discovery herself. A new Star Trek Discovery crate is also available now in CSC as part of the event. The $20 loot box contains five items, either Star Trek ships or Star Trek ship skins. The skins can also be converted into collectible currency used to acquire the Star Trek ships in-game. Those are real prices? $100,000? That's crazy pants. It's a reverse auction. Oh my god, that's crazy. So let's put that into perspective right now. One Ethereum coin is currently valued at about $360.45, which has been fluctuating over the last month or so. Most of all, cryptocurrencies have been seeing a bit of a fluctuation uh, over the last month or so. It had hit a high of about 400, I would say the latter half of August and into September. So just one coin is worth $360. Yeah, let's use the word worth loosely here. Valued at? Fair enough. It is valued at, yes, 360 US dollars. The completely unregulated, uh, susceptible to manipulation and completely cowboy land current value of it is that. But here's the thing about these ships, right? Is that according to the developer who we've had on the show twice at least now, these ships hold their value. So you are, it's like owning, it's like if one of these 3D ships or one of these Eagle Moss ships ended up being that valuable. It's it's hard to swallow that a ship is a hundred thousand dollars. It's not. So so I mean, they it's a it's a reverse auction. So they set they start the bidding there, and if if a hundred thousand dollars doesn't catch a bid, they drop it, and then they drop it, and then they drop it, and then they drop it, and they drop it. And if you're watching, you lower it, and you you sort of you try to read the room, and you say which one of these jerks is going to try to take it from me, and then you buy it at the highest price that you're willing to stomach. And so when that when the Disco One Seven Zero One went on sale, they looked around, they read. 
the room and thought, some idiot's going to buy this for $873. So when the price went down to $873.50, dude pulled the trigger. His theory is, is that at some point, somebody's going to come along and wish that they had bid it at $874. And so he'll sell it at $874 because it's a one of one. It's a unique crypto tied thing. And so he'll he'll make 50 cents on the transaction and you know so on and so forth to infinity and beyond. Now, remember, though, it's not the first time that a ship has sold for that high a price, right? 800 is change compared to some of the other ships that I remember him talking to us about. Uh, like the Borg Cube, I think, sold for several thousand dollars. Tens of thousands, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's just, it's insane. It's insanity to me. It's crazy. Again, it, people, the strategy here, both for the players and for the company, is that it's it's perfect price discrimination. You do it this way so that you capture the absolute most value possible from your audience. And that audience, because they're who they are and who and the way they operate, they think that because it's a unique digital item, somebody at some point will probably offer them more than they paid for it. And the value of it should theoretically rise. But they're probably right, though, I think, from what I've seen, because people keep spending their money on stuff like that. If the game is popular or if the price of Ethereum goes crazy, you know, and like, you know, the, the value of it shoots way, way up, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the conversion price of the Ethereum to dollars doesn't mean as much anymore, so... Yeah. That's all we have to cover this week in Star Trek Gaming. Now, let's look on screen for the sixth episode of Lower Decks. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 6, Terminal Provocations, on screen. You know that guy that does more work trying to get out of work than the actual job would take? On the Cerritos, that guy is named Ensign Fletcher. Yeah, he might cover your shift so you can see the choo-choo dance live, but the cost may be your ship's ability to regenerate its shields when under bombardment by 200-year-old space garbage thrown at it by an alien tractor beam. And don't even get me started on Clippy's great-great-grandchild-from-hell badgie. Alright, Captains, let's get through the statistics. This episode was written by John Cochran, directed by Bob Suarez, and originally aired on September 10th, 2020. Jake, why don't you share with us uh, your favorite scene? Yeah, a lot like this whole season has been, I like the one-liners. I don't think any specific part's the best. I really liked when they were at the concert and they were wearing the choo-choo shirts. And after they come out, they're like, Oh my god, and then when they added the third choo and they were doing the choo-choo-choo dance, they're geniuses! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so good. And obviously anything with Badgie. Badgie was just so creepy and so funny and, and very, very good. And how about your least favorite? I didn't really have a least favorite. I thought this episode was really, really good. I'm, I'm getting a little tired of kind of seeing where they're going before they get there. Like you knew who, who Ensign Fletcher was going to be before they showed you who Ensign Fletcher was. Uh, you knew that he was going to get fired as soon as he went over to the... Uh, the Titan, but overall, I really didn't dislike anything in this episode. I thought it was really, really good. Which of the plot lines did you enjoy most? Did you enjoy watching Mariner, Boimler, and Fletcher deal with their thing? Did, did you like more that what was going on on the bridge or what was happening on the holodeck with Tendi and Rutherford? I liked how they were all very different, and they all had a lot of fun parts to them, like on the bridge. All of the bridge things are the kind of things that you would expect to see somebody making fun of Star Trek, with a guy with the patch trying all the, you know, with all the patches, and then he, he says the F word. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I think bleeping is funnier than swearing. 
It just it gets me every single that time. That is a staple of the humor over on Guard Frequency. I have argued with my audio editors time and again. Bleeping is funnier, and so it gets me every it single just time. Is. It just is. Obviously, I like the patchy stuff. What's not to like? Again, the only thing that kind of was a little bit like eh, again with the AI and the you kind of saw where Fletcher was going. He was so. If I had to choose anything that I I liked the least, I would have to say that. But I really enjoyed that as well. And thematically, I would say that it's it's like it's been since day one. You know, friendship matters and be kind to AI. What theme? <laughs> be kind to AI. Don't kick Patchy. All right, Kat, why don't you tell us your favorite scene or moment? I love Badgie as well because it was creepy and hilarious because he's going to wear your skin and eat your heart or whatever he said and rip your arms off. <laughs> it was so good. I love Tendi and Rutherford. I love their storylines, though I do wish that they would mix the characters up more. What do you mean? Well, you know, each each episode so far is Tendi and Rutherford doing something, Boimler and Mariner doing something, and then the bridge crew. But we did see episodes where someone from the bridge crew was doing something with one of those guys where they mix. I'd love to see, you know, Tendi and Mariner do something, or Boimler and Rutherford do something. You know, just mix it up and quit putting the same characters together. And why the heck is Tendi always hanging out, like, working next to Rutherford? I thought she was supposed to be in the med bay. Like, what is she doing <laughs> all the time? They just hang out or what? I, I thought her job was in, she's going to be a doctor, but she's always hanging out with Rutherford. So I just think, unless that's their time off and that's what they're doing, it takes B-plot to a whole new level. <laughs> right. General overview, rating one to five, any takeaways that you appreciated from this episode? Takeaways, I mean, do they really always have to go to the evil AI or the, oh, the holodeck safeties are offline, we're gonna, now there's a real threat. I mean, I guess it's the point, they're making fun of that, but evil AI though, we've seen that every series, come on. But not as adorable. Well, okay, true, but still, come on. (laughs) All right, Tony, give me your favorite moment or scene from this episode. Mm. All of it. Uh, that's a cop-out answer. Give wow. me a specific Yeah, it sure is. Would you like me to go into depth about why it's not a cop-out answer? I would. I would. Because they're tuning the formula, and they're showing some variations on the theme. So Kat's saying, I wish they wouldn't do the AI thing. Well, yeah, they're going to do the AI thing because it's a trope. But this one is an adorable Star Trek badge that looks like Clippy from Windows 95. So they're yeah. they're throwing it in your face. It even had an, oh, father moment. I mean, the whole bit, they're, like, they're mining the whole trope for any joke they can get out of it, right? Then we had the, the, the discussion about, you know, them pairing off Boimler and Mariner and, and, and Attendee and Rutherford all the time. Well, they, they are falling into a little bit of a rut there, so you're right, they do need to break that up. But they're get, but they're doing it, right? They're they're showing you the A plot, the B plot, and then and the bridge. They're showing all those things up. That Now they need to go back to pairing up a senior officer with a lower decks officer, right? But they're showing you a variation on that theme. They're showing you that they're again, holding the mirror up to Star Trek, not holding the mirror up to the current day. And they're showing you that they can tilt the mirror a little bit back and forth to catch all the aspects of it. They're running into an alien and having a, a fight where they should shoot back. The guy's endangering their ship, and you you should fire in self-defense. You should. But oh no. I have done everything I can to respect their sanctity of life, to avoid conflict, and give them the benefit of the doubt. The Drukmani have given me no choice. Chax, target their warp core. Yes! No! We waited too long! Weapon systems are down! No, no they're, they're, they're taking it to the extreme. They can't disable their weapons? Like Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, 
yeah, the guy wants to blow up the warp core, but I mean, that's disproportionate, right? That's the dis disproportion for comedic effect. So they're tinkering with their formula. It had a cold open that had nothing to do with the rest of the show, right? Right, good. I did, I then did the, like that. Yeah, it, it, it works. The cold open works. Plus, then the credit scene, okay? Then they have the A and the B plot, and then a sort of C plot that was on the bridge that connected all the stuff. I feel so, like it's a B and a B plot, and then a C plot. <laughs> it could be, yeah. I mean, but, but the idea is that they switch between the sort of like three parallel storylines, and right. you get a shot of the different parts of the ship. Like I said, it feels to me like they're getting their groove. And this is the fastest a Star Trek show that I can remember has ever gotten its groove. It's it's working for me, especially in 22-minute chunks. In <laughs> 22-minute chunks, I can, not only can I handle it, it's my jelly beans, and I'll just, I'll just pop them. I'll just eat them. There, I loved all of it. So I've been thinking long and hard about this show and about what you said, Tony, that this is a, a mirror not towards society, our existing nature as it is now, living in 2020, but instead a parody of Star Trek. It is a joke on Star Trek. And that's fun. That's great. As a matter of fact, you know, Allie and I will watch Star Trek and deliver our own colorful commentary like Mystery Science Theater and make loving jokes about Star Trek as we're watching it. Because you love it, but there's some absurdity in it. Of course. Of course. Yes. And we've had some great laughs and I've and you know when we're at Vegas and we watch an episode together or something's playing, we've done that together as a group. And I've said this before when you when when Star Trek was doing those um, theatrical releases for the next generation on Blu-ray and they were doing the season the big season finales, two-parters on the big screen, that was great to watch with a group of people because sometimes there was laughter when I never thought to laugh before at an episode. My problem is that Mystery Science Theater is now canon. I think that's where my problem is, is that these absurdities that would otherwise be funny in, let's say, a off-brand comedy or off-brand parody series or a, or a fan-made project, the, these things are now canon. <laughs> and that, I think that's what bothers me about this show, is that a smiling koala as the the deity of the universe as the deity of the universe the the foundation of the universe is now canonical right and then they talk about these things of of crossovers with lower decks that is for me the hardest thing to digest for this series now if I were to remove that, if I were to pull myself out of that... I was going to say, you should pull something out of something, but I wasn't going to be specific as to what. But go ahead. Please continue. <laughs> you. <laughs> Bleeps are always funnier. It's true, see? It's true. So, once I remove myself from that, and I try to forget they are not in any way, shape, or form caring at all about what is canon and what isn't, I beg to differ on that. I can let my hair down a little bit more about the show. I can be a little more relaxed. This episode, I had an easier time enjoying by just kind of hoping that there aren't going to be crossovers and that they're really not going to honor the storyline in terms of oh. canon. That's that's where I'm trying to, to best enjoy the episode, the show. And in this particular episode, I was able to find enjoyment when J.G. Hertzler was on right to play the, the oh, alien yeah. that was that was taking over all the wreckage of the previous ship that was flinging garbage at him he totally and had a point though i mean there are salvage rights come on maritime law doesn't have to fly to outer space <laughs> his argument was impeccable and then my favorite thing about badgie was that it was jack mcbrayer and yes. if you've watched 30 rock i mean that's really how i know jack mcbrayer is through, is through 30 rock yeah that's what most people know him yeah and his character on 30 Rock is just so 
Saccharin. So Sweet. saccharin. And there are moments in 30 Rock where he loses his ish, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like Badgie. <laughs> and it's just like Badgie. So those moments where where he's reading these lines. Fun. Ah, I'm gonna rip your eyes out. I'm gonna wear your skin. It's still wholesome. There's that wholesome part of Jack <laughs> McBrayer's voice that makes it hilarious. He just wants so, to help you, and the best way to help you is to slice off your skin and wear it. That's right, <laughs> that's right. The best and thing so, for you, really. I don't Austin. know. I cannot think of any other voice that was better suited for this <laughs> character than Jack McBrayer. I cannot. He was absolutely hilarious in this, especially if you knew him from Thirty Rock. So yeah, I mean, if I do my best to think of this as more a fan project and not living in the same universe Ugh. as TNG or Picard or DS9 or any of the other Star Trek canonical stories, then I can enjoy this a little better. But so help me God, if all of a sudden Chris Anson Mount shows his voice, shares his voice nope. on this, and it's an nope. official Christopher Pike moment, and I have to accept it as canon. I nope. just can't. Nope. My ca nope. my canon spot, my canon sense is fragile. It's fragile. You're gonna see this on Picard when Raffi pulls up some database she just hacked into and Badgie shows up asking her if she wants to <laughs> oh reformat one of the columns. No, She's gonna dismiss him. She's gonna be like, ah, I hate that guy. I don't know that I'm I, that's I, where it's gonna I, be. Man, I'm, and that's the day that I quit Star Trek. <laughs> don't do it, man, because what's his face already said he wants crossovers. He already said he wants crossovers. Who, this is that's a, that's a no brainer. That one is so easy. Badgie is a, and Picard for sure. I do not give a crap what McMahon wants. And if Kurtzman <laughs> No, it wasn't is McMahon. That, it was Goldsman. It was Akiva Goldsman. Oh, Akiva he's another one that I could I, that talks a lot. <laughs> he's the showrunner. You don't think he can't make that phone call? Not hey, above send me not the badgy above yard. Kurtzman. He's definitely Where's not McBrayer? above Kurtzman. Where's McBrayer? Give me McBrayer's phone number and I want the badgy yard. We're going to throw him into a computer display on Picard. I don't know, man. That's where I live. I live in this uh, Look, it's funny as Mystery Science Theater is funny to film, but I have a hard time accepting I this in the you. Star Trek world. I get you. Everyone, everyone, every old fan of the show, get re get your drinks ready because when I did this Foundry series, when I did my Foundry series, I was irreverent, I put jokes in it, I played with tropes, and I had reviews on there that I got one-star reviews because I wasn't taking the material seriously enough. And people were like, you should go watch a real episode of Star Trek to find out how they actually talk and what they actually do on that show. Ooh, and I'm like, burn. water off a duck's back, I didn't care, but I'm just like, you have never enjoyed Trouble with Tribbles, my friend. You've never enjoyed the, the Chicago Mobster episode. Oh, I mean, any Dixon Hill or, come yeah. on, like, Fistful of Datas. They come play. On. This is they not, play. You can't, don't, you, the, the, the comparison is not the same, though. It's not, Lower Decks is not Trouble with Tribbles. It's not a, a Dixon Hill holodeck story. This is flat out making fun of Star Trek. That's all this show is, is making fun of Star Trek in yes. a loving way. Right. Yes. All right. Well, exactly. I think it's funny. <laughs> so when Captain Boimler of the USS Cerritos hauls uh, hauls La Serena out of a black hole in in season two of Picard, and Badgie helps uh, Badgie helps them uh, restart I'm their I'm quitting their Star Trek that day. That's the day that I quit Star Trek. <laughs> Just, I'm telling you, it's coming. Free time we'll have. I'm telling you, it's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. They're gonna put Jack Jack Quaid in a fat suit, and they're gonna put wrinkles on Tony Newsom, and they're gonna they're gonna show up on the bridge of the Cerritos uh, to rescue La Serena, season two, uh, guaranteed. I'm, nope. That's all we have on screen this week. Now we welcome Dr. Robert Hurt for an astrometrics report. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. 
Captains, this episode we are pleased to have with us Dr. Robert Hurt. Dr. Hurt, what do you have to report this week? Well, I am glad to be here in a maybe a more conversational astrometrics report this week. And I just wanted to ask a question. Do you guys like black holes? Yeah! I just ate. I'm not hungry at all. But thanks, Robert. <laughs> you can oh, wait 30 yeah. minutes. I love that drink. <laughs> black holes will do all the eating for you. So, uh, oh, no, I, this this has been a really good year for black holes, I've got to say. And my, uh, my day job is, uh, in part, doing visuals to help communicate science results. And this has been such a weird year because all of a sudden, all I seem to be doing now is illustrating black holes because there's been... So many really cool results. So I wanted to just come on and share a few and see if you guys had any other black hole questions you wanted to clear up. But let me ask a question. Where do you think the biggest black holes are in the universe? Outside of our galaxy. That's a pretty generic answer, but I would say at the centers of most galaxies. So correct on one and really, really correct on two. Nicely done. Because in fact, yes, uh, one of the, the really interesting things in astrophysics in the last 30, 40 years is the realization that it seems like at the center of every single galaxy, at least everyone that we've been able to take direct measurements of, there seems to be some form of supermassive black hole to the tunes of millions or tens of millions, even hundreds of millions times the mass of our own sun. And these areas are just incredibly weird and crazy because they may have been like the seeds around which galaxies formed. There's a lot of uncertainty in where these black holes actually came from because they seem to be date back very, very far in the universe when we look very far out. But one of the interesting things about measuring these black holes is understanding how they build up over time. Because we know that when a large star goes supernova, we think it leaves a black hole behind. That's the kind of black hole you see in the opening credits of Lower Decks, which I'm delighted Star Trek is finally embracing the black hole in, in, in the show. But the idea is somehow these black holes have got to migrate from places all through the galaxy where they form and somehow maybe get into that center of the galaxy and build up and make those central black holes even larger. So we had a lot of interesting results this year about uh, how black holes aggregate in the centers of galaxies. Now the first story I'm going to tell you is near and dear to my heart because it was one of the final science stories coming out of NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope which is an infrared uh, space observatory that um, I'd been working on ever since uh, actually before it launched in 2003 and sadly was recently retired in January of this year. So while the telescope's been retired, no longer doing science observations, there's still a lot of data that it took. And one really interesting study it made before it shut down was a uh, really, really cool named galaxy, OJ287. I, I mean, you gotta say, we astronomers know how to name things, right? <laughs> I'm inspired just listening to that. Isn't that just OJ287? Well, one of the weird things about this galaxy is that it has been known for decades to have bright flashes happening in the area that we think is in the swirling material around that central black hole. And those bright flashes seem to be the product of a much, much smaller black hole, but still a relatively large one, that is orbiting that central black hole and in a sort of elliptical orbit. And every time that black hole passes through that disk of material that's swirling around the central black hole, it disrupts it and heats it up and causes this like explosion effectively that we see. Now, if gravity were just normal like Newton thought it was, 
that kind of orbit would be really, really regular. Those flashes would happen on a really, really regular process because the orbit would just repeat itself over and over again. But relativity has a weird way of messing with time. And the closer you get to the supermassive black hole in the center, time passes a little differently than when you're further away. So that actually causes that orbit, we think, to change and uh, rotate over time. Now, that means that when that little black hole hits that disk at one point and another, those the timing of those flashes will change. And from year to year, they'll be at different times. If it's going like right up and down into the disk, they'll be very closely spaced. If the orbit processes so it's kind of parallel to the disk, then there'll be longer periods between them. So what happened is if scientists thought they got a really good relativistic idea of when this is going to happen. They could predict within hours on a 12-year cycle when the next flash was going to be. But guess what? It was going to be when we couldn't observe it because that galaxy was behind the sun. And everybody was all sad until they remembered that the Spitzer Space Telescope is in its own orbit around the sun and has a different vantage point. And so one of the last observations we got Spitzer to do was sit from where it was looking and stare over and see, did we see the flash of light from that, that galaxy? And it was like right when Spitzer could first start observing it was when the event was timed out to happen and poof, there was a flash of light in the infrared right at the right time. So just mind-numbing to think that basically trying to figure out the mathematics of what's going on due to relativistic shifts, due to time slowing down in a galaxy that, that's 3.5 billion light years away, and figuring that timing down to a matter of hours over the course of a 12-year period, and getting one telescope that happens to be in the right vantage point to catch the flash right when it occurred. Now, did that impress you at all? Did I sell this? <laughs> So you, you did fine. And it, it struck me in a very personal note because my daughter is doing the uh, remote learning thing. And one of the things I've ha I have her doing is watching Cosmos, the Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, series. And yes. just today, the episode uh, that she played was about Halley's Comet and how Edmund Halley, before he died, predicted that in this year, in this part of the sky, thanks to Newton's calculations, you will see this comet that appeared this year, this year, this year, will appear at this time right there, book it, done. And sure enough, that happened. So yeah, it's it's funny that, you know, that, you know, 200 years, 300 years, Newton did that and came up with that same prediction. You know, the, the comparison of the show was Babe Ruth pointing in the stands where his next home run's going to be. And then 300 years later, you know, we're doing that with Einstein and relativity and, you know, a telescope in space. We're so good at this now, we have to stretch it a little farther. Like, you know, we got to have a bigger show. we gotta have, we got to do it better than the last one. Uh, and so, it, but we're managing to pull it off. I, I don't think I could have done a better job describing the process of science the, as, as you just did. That's beautiful because that's exactly what happens, right? We, we do the easy stuff first. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. Fruit, low hanging fruit, yeah, grab the it. Stuff that's nearby now, and then eventually we can push this out, and we actually can start to make predictions about flashes of light from galaxies three and a half billion light years away from us, and get it timed down to like the hour. So that was a pretty cool result. But um, the other big thing that's happened in the last couple months in terms of releases comes from a project that um, I've talked about before and you may have heard of, uh, one called LIGO, which is this uh, now a network basically of gravitational wave detectors. They uh, basically have these um, really long vacuum arms that are like kilometers long that they fire laser beams up and down and have them reflect back and forth. And they look for the tiny little fluctuations in, in basically the spacings between the mirrors caused by the passage of a ripple in space-time as it comes biased. Uh, just absolutely minute. These are the, literally the most precise measurements ever achieved by, by humanity in our history. And so we've been now detecting 
in these incredible uh, gravitational wave signatures of black holes that spiral together and merge to form a single black hole. Uh, this, you know, the first announcement was some a few years ago. Uh, you know, made waves. I'll be here all evening. What's interesting is that those were basically what we call stellar mass black holes. Those are the ones that we think would have been left over from explosions of supernovas that together have come together and merged to form slightly bigger black holes. But back this uh, past year, we had an interesting opportunity to measure a different one. This was in 2019. Again, lovely name. It is Event GW190521. Well, this one tells you something happened because they said it's events in the name, so that's better. Exactly, yeah. So this was now the most massive black hole merger ever detected. The two progenitor black holes that, that formed the, the final one were thought to be around 67 and 85 times the, the mass of the sun. And they formed a black hole that was about 142 times the mass of the sun. And if you actually add up all those numbers, you'll see those two numbers don't quite add up. That's because some of the energy got lost creating all the gravitational waves that flowed out from that incredible event. This was exciting to physicists though, because this was the first detection now of what we call an intermediate mass black hole. We, we've detected evidence of these supermassive black holes in the centers of galaxies. We've detected evidence of black holes about the size of things we think are left over from supernovas, and we've even seen those kind of merge. But this is the first time we found a black hole in this category that we think actually forms hierarchically. Uh-oh, someone's waving his hand. Question! So the mass was lost due to the, the merger of the black holes and converted to gravitational energy. Yes. So e equals mc squared works on gravity too? It works on everything, and, and especially gravity. That kind of hurts my brain. That's actually why black holes merge to begin with. Because if you just put two things in orbit around each other, they'll just normally, in a Newtonian world, they'll just do that forever and ever. They, they just, they, they, their energy's balanced, they, they go in an orbit. But the trick is, because of uh, relativity, two massive objects orbiting each other are actually creating ripples in the fabric of space-time, if you will. That drains energy out of the orbit, and that causes the orbit to start going closer and closer, spiraling in. The rate of it actually increases over time. It speeds up, and then it makes these little gravitational wave chirps that sort of go whoop, you know, if you if you convert it into sound waves. So that's where you know where to look to see something that's about to get smushed together. That's how you know what merged, is you listen to that chirp, and the frequency of that chirp tells you how big the objects were and how big the, the, the thing they formed was. Can you guys believe that 30,000 years ago we couldn't figure out dogs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I think the next episode of Lower Decks we're going to improve upon dogs if I if I caught that, the trailer, that very well the trailer correctly. This is the first time now we think we actually saw a black hole formed from black holes that themselves were the result of other black holes that merged together. So this is now, we're seeing that chain of events that lead you from stars blowing up that start merging together and start forming those, uh, uh, or merging into those supermassive black holes in the center. I do have a question about the LIGO array. And as rudimentary as this sounds, how, what differentiates its detection of gravitational waves versus just the generic seismic activity of the Earth. There is actually a tremendous amount of noise in the system that's there. And that, that the reason it took LIGO decades of operation to get to the point where we are detecting these actual merger events is because those decades were spent characterizing all the other kinds of seismic activities that can affect the, the mirror spacing, all the way down to the actual rumble of the ocean 
creates a certain noise level just propagating through the continents that actually is something that they have to detect and cancel out. And so it's a lot of systems of canceling out all the known noise sources or, or, me, or nullifying the things that don't have the right shape. And then it's looking for events that trigger independently in the different gravitational wave detectors because we actually have two LIGO detectors and a third one in Europe called Virgo that's built slightly differently but has the same functionality. And so the uh, gravitational wave events, how they sweep past these three detectors actually also helps differentiate them from things in the environment because the, the you know gravitational waves are moving at the speed of light. Seismic waves go much, much, much slower, and so there'd be no uh, confusion between those two kinds of events. So there's like a bunch of scientists going, this is what the ocean waves sound like. No, no, they sound like this. <laughs> Nice tie-in. Nice That is literally how the science works, you know. Yeah, uh, they're like, no, but wait, gravitational waves, they sound like... (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's, it's more like a whoop. But yeah, okay. it was the chirp. Yeah, well, didn't you have the chirp? Go. Yeah, it was yeah. the chirp. So you yeah. guys stand around and, you know, whoop together. <laughs> well, Dr. Hurt, I want to thank you for joining us on this episode for a very deep and consuming Get it? Because it's Boy, a black hole. We gotta discussion. Stop this. We got to stop these. For this episode <laughs> and its astrometrics report. Captains, be sure to catch Dr. Hurt during After Hours, exclusive to our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. At just $10 a month, you get four extra episodes of us ranting. It's great. <laughs> but now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our community question was, how did you celebrate Star Trek Day? From Facebook, David Rutley writes, Star Trek Day here in Canada was actually September 6th, so Sunday I took time out of my very, very busy schedule and found the time to watch three whole episodes of TOS on the Sci-Fi Channel. Hopefully Trouble with Tribbles and Piece of the Action or two of them. Also on Facebook, our Patreon supporter Peter Archibald replied, I watched The Man Trap with my wife. We invited a friend to watch with us. I also posted some pictures of the salt monster statue I took at the Star Trek tour in Ticonderoga. Aww. How, how appropriate. I, I know Z and I were just talking about that. How, how appropriate. You watched the first aired episode on the day that Star Trek was born. That's appropriate. appropriate. Way to go, Peter Archibald. Again from Facebook, Keith Rombach says he watched the Star Trek Day streams and played Star Trek Online. Lastly from Facebook, Aaron Eichler responded, I wore a Star Trek shirt and caught a little of the panels. Nice. Well, that wraps up episode 478 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. Does Star Trek need star power to entice new fans? Do you think the addition of an actor like Will Smith or Brie Larson or Robert Downey Jr. would help? 
or hurt the Star Trek franchise. Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's some for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts or broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, Captains, we're humbled by the ongoing and continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. To them, our sincerest thanks. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray. Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting us this week as guest host. Thank you, Jake. Thank you so much for having me. Love it. Thanks to our associate producers, Shane and Thomas of the Priority One Armada. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony Cox. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Engage. Lieutenant Uhura and Mr. Spock trail. Traipsing. Yeah. It's more flouncy than a mosey. Oh Got my it. god, that was an excellent description. Now, this is a story all about how our show got flipped, turned upside down. I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, and tell you how we covered rumors about Star Trek in your ear. That didn't work very well. No, that, that last, last part, part didn't Jake. work. I can't believe you don't write is... rap music, Jake. What's wrong with you, you, you not rap writing guy? <laughs> this is Elio, Astrometric, Sync 1. This is Cat Astrometric, Sync 2. This is Tony Astrometric Sync 3. This is Tony Astrometric Sync 4. It is? It's Tony? Tony, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you don't even have a goatee, you pretender. <laughs> that was my. <laughs> I'm Mirror Tony. <laughs> no goatee. You are Mirror Tony. That's right. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.